Welcome. Well, we're going to wrap up tonight, so this is a, we'll do a quick recap of, uh, of last week, we'll jump right in, and then start wrapping up. Let's see, we're working our way down magnitude words, and we'll start with the recap of that. What do we have? What's, what was the first one we had? Is that obey? Yep, we got obey. We heard that several weeks ago, and then the next one was deny. Now, of all the words over the last five weeks, you've probably heard the word deny. This one probably come up more than everything else because this kind of filters in to really everything, everything we're talking about. There's a component of denying ourself. A quick follow-up to deny yourself is merit, which we got into. We talked about there's we have no merit, um, so, which makes the denying yourself a, a smidge easier, if not troubling, but it's, it's something to, uh, to be grasped. Then uh, the next magnitude word we hit was abide. And now you're thinking, if you remember, like, well, what makes these magnitude words? We were talking about these. These are words that we've come across as we're walking through this, the depth of our call, the depth of our fall. These are the words that, that really have, they're either 100 or zero kind of words. They're not partial credit words. In other words, none of us would say, even if we're not doing it, none of us would say we're called to be obedient 54% of the time. I mean, you know, you know better than that. That, that, that sounds ridiculous. Um, we know we're not called to deny ourselves 42% of the time. We, we know better than that. That wouldn't even make sense. Um, the merit is the first one that gets a little bumpy with that because it's, it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to raise our hands and say, I have zero merit. I'm meritless. I got nothing. And, but yet, that gets, we went through all that at length. That was all as a follow-up to pride, and then we get into the merit. Well, the merit, if we can really grasp that we have no merit, that makes the pride seem different because now we see the true folly of the pride, not just the pride bad, but pride folly. The uh, next one was abide, the concept that we went through the, the scriptures on abiding with Christ, and it, it, it would seem silly to, I mean, we know that Jesus isn't saying, I am the, I am the uh, vine and you're the branch, um, and that's how this needs to be at least 73% of the time. I mean, it just, we, know that's, we know these things are these 100%, 0% uh, components here, the merit being the one that has 0%. I could have worded that differently to keep it 100, but we'll just uh, we'll roll with the, the merit. The, um, the last one we're going to hit is rely. Now, we've hit rely before. We hit it last week. Uh, we had the handout that included Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And you're like, well, in some translations, that don't rely on your own understanding. The reason we hit that one specifically, we'd already talked about reliance in our things weeks ago. This was the, the Proverbs, uh, the refrigerator magnet portion of rely, that do not lean on your own understanding, that's the part that I think is much more challenging than the trust in the Lord with all your heart. In other words, I could have been, I could have been saved four hours and said, well, I trust in the Lord with all my heart. Sweet. Boy, that was easy. You know, and I would have meant it. But, okay, but now, do not lean on your own understanding. Well, that's, that's denial. Now that's, there's a direct, direct, that is absolutely, that's one of the, that's one of the, toughest denials of self, 
is denying our own understanding of things. Now, what's that mean? Do mean we, uh, we just walk away from all logic? Um, just sit around praying, waiting for God to give me a direction? Let's see, should I have bagels or bananas for breakfast? Waiting for God to speak? Well, no, it's not what I'm talking about that. We're talking about don't, not relying on our understanding when there's scripture that says this or that instead. So that's, it's, it's not about... Um, just waiting, um, uh, waiting for a word. It's it's understanding when it's the right time, when the words have something to say. The words matter, and there's no amount of my logic that can outweigh if there's scripture clearly on a, on a topic. In the all other areas, if it's not addressed specifically, then I need to rely on my own understanding and and good reasoning and wise counsel and all the other things that represent. Uh, discernment and wise counsel, but uh, uh, that's that's the challenge with us into not relying on our own understanding. We started to get into that. We talked about it a bit last week. We're going to uh, keep going a little uh, deeper with that tonight. The next component on the reliance is is the concept that we should be finding great joy and peace in this reliance. Uh, we should find great contentedness and even an absence of fear in that reliance. Now, I'll start, I'll give you the asterisks right now. The, the, the road we're on is getting narrower and narrower and rougher and rougher. And in my personal walk, this is we are, we are, we are right at about at the end of where I feel like I have any competency at all. And as we go into like the fear pieces of this, I, it's a it's a place where I feel I really I see what the road is ahead, I, that I understand what the road ahead is, but I don't feel like I'm uh, achieving is not really the right word, but I don't think I'm there. The reason I like the word achieving is I don't want to imply that I feel like I've achieved the parts on the road that are that I, that, I, that we've already discussed. In other words, I'm not remotely claiming to be. 100% obedient, 100% denial. I'm not saying that at all. That would be that'd be crazy. I think anyone to say that would be would be crazy. What I'm talking about is picture the um, picture this path we're on as a as a I mean, is the biblical analogy of a, the straight and narrow of a, of a of a road that starts off reasonably wide and very well paved. And as we kind of go through some things, it just gets uh, narrower and narrower. I made a couple of notes. So, like in my in my personal walk, okay. So, uh, begin to follow Christ. All right, all right. Uh, make tons of changes in many years past that. You know, and the road gets a little bit narrower. And you go, all right, all right. Making progress with uh, the things stuff we've talked to. I went through that. Um, the uh, and again, as far as that was not a chosen change. That was a God implemented change. So I mean, so I'm not I'm not even remotely claiming credit for seeing things differently. I'm seeing things differently from God putting me on the other side of those things. And they go, oh, okay, cool. You know, and with each, with each step, the road gets a little bit narrower, but it's still, you know, you're, you're, now you're down to a nice county road. I can see, I conceptualize the concepts pertaining and denying to self, not achieving them. I mean, I'm not talking about the perfect uh, experience. I don't mean that, but it's like, wow, I see it, I get it, it's getting narrower. Um, getting the concept that I have no merit and walking through that. All right, all right, road's getting narrower. The, um, I get it, this is not a part-time gig. 
There's no part of my faith that's a part-time gig. All right, all right, cool. I'm understanding the importance of obedience, of, uh, of uh, learning reliance. And then now as the, as the reliance starts to come down, you start to get into the concepts of, of fear and anxiety. And you say, okay, great. So how am I doing on the living anxiety-free? Because that's what Scripture says I should be doing. Now, in my personal walk, I'm probably, the analogy would probably be, I'm now down to a narrow path that's covered in brush. In other words, I can see the path there. It's, I'm, not, I'm, not doing, I'm not doing that hot. But the part I'm excited about is I have, I'm very confident I see the path. I know the path is there. It's a continuation of what I'm on. I'm excited about it. And so in other words, instead of just feeling lost, like, oh, no, it's the end of the road. I, I haven't achieved uh, perfection yet or something. You'd be like, whoa, 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 that's not it. Like I'm, I'm enjoying, I still have joy in being at that place on the path, even though I'm not as far as the path goes. It's like, wow, but I see this, I get this. And it feels good to be, to, to just for the assurance of like, I understand the path that, uh, that, that I'm on in my walk. And that I, I think, I mean, hopefully I'm describing this for, uh, for everyone as a, as a path we can be on as we understand the depth of our call more and more. Now, the, um, I've got a handout here, and we'll get into some of these scriptures. You can, or you can turn to your Bibles. Philippians 4 is the first one. This is the bundle at the, uh, the scriptures at the bottom of that page. The ones above that we've hit before. That, the, the first chunk on Mark there, that's the deny. We'll refer back to them a little bit. The next one was the, uh, the Proverbs that we'd hit before and rely. So now we're done in Philippians 4. I'm going to read this. Think about this in the context of, of reliance on God. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the next one is very, very similar. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Each of these two, they have three things in absolute agreement with these. Each, each of these two, the, the, the first two of the three that are listed here, each of the, well, all three of these cover every situation. In other words, the Philippians 4, the net translation, the word is every situation. First Thessalonians, the word is all circumstances. Next thing they have in common, they both deal with giving thanks, uh, being thankful in all of these circumstances or every situation, and they all deal with praying. One says prayer and petition, the other one says pray without ceasing. So you have the situation acknowledged through with thanking involved and with prayer involved. So these two make another, like we've seen these before, these scripture pairs where they just seem to confirm each other and, and clarify and even expand a little bit on each other. Just to take away any concern that, gee, maybe I'm misunderstanding something, or maybe this is a one-shot. No, you see it. There's an almost exact thing covered somewhere else. Now, first of all, let's think about this. These all cover explicitly all situations. Uh, I, th- I think it's real clear that this is to be applied even to situations we wouldn't have chosen, right? In other words, I don't think, there's, I don't think we needed to, to have a scripture that says, and be sure when things are 
hunky-dory to be sure and give thanks. Well, I mean, that would be like just a ridiculous statement, you know, first of all. Uh, second, as soon as someone turned five, you'd say, okay, now we've got to start adding some more meat because that's pretty, that's pretty light scripture. Gee, gee, when things are great, be sure and give thanks. So we know by the way it's described that every situation in all circumstances, that we're talking about giving thanks in situations that we wouldn't actually normally be thankful for. In other words, this isn't the, the wow, today was an awesome day, everything went great. This isn't the, today's life is a bowl of cherries, so I think I'll give thanks. No, so specifically, these tell us to give thanks in situations that we aren't thrilled about. And so then you go, okay, now the reliance is starting to kick into here. Okay, okay, well, that's why... I'm giving thanks is because even though I don't like this situation, I know who's in charge of the situation, and I will give thanks for this situation. There's, there's, uh, I've heard folks interpret this as saying, no, you're just giving thanks for when the life was a bowl of cherries, even though today's not a bowl of cherries. I don't, I don't think so. To me, that seems inconsistent. I can't. That seems too temporary, or I don't know. I just doesn't that. I don't think that's what that means. I don't think it means remember the good times even when you're praying about a bad time. I'm not seeing that. That, that wouldn't make sense to me, and it certainly wouldn't make sense with the last uh, passage in Philippians 4, Paul talking about his contentedness in when he has, even when he's hungry, literally hungry. He's living the life of faith. Right. Even if you get hit by a car tonight on the way home, and you get hit bad, and you know you're not going to make it in the next 90 seconds. You get to give thanks to God because you know where you're going in the 91st yes, second. Absolutely. Okay. So in other words, there's no magnitude of bad news that takes away the thankfulness. There is no magnitude because there's nothing, there's nothing on this planet that's going to take away that, that position. Right? So, so, I mean, in other words, and there can't be because this, this isn't a magnitude where we have listed, but it wouldn't make sense because somewhere out there, there's, there's a situation that's really, really horrible. I mean, people, people bump into these. Um, I've known two people in my life that were faced with medical situations, one from, one from birth um, with uh, massive birth defects uh, in many different categories in the same child, and I watched her grow up, and, uh, and that was always interesting. She was the first person I'd ever come across where you had to recheck all normal uh, she was a believer, and you just had to recheck all normal um, thinking. Yeah, yeah, but you, in other words, that would have been, instead of the, but thank God they're all fine, yeah. you didn't have that ending. Mm-hmm. It was the, here's a situation, and it's the worst thing you've ever heard of. You can't imagine a worse situation um, without being dead. Right. And um, in which case, you'd, if you're a believer, you'd be like, well, wait, okay, wait a minute, now that is the better situation. So I've had a couple of people like that, that that really challenged my appraisal of situations because you'd see these and you'd realize that it's possible to be at a place that's uh, not just temporarily bad, but, but just extraordinarily uh, bad in, in ways that we can't even, can't even conceptualize. It'd be more like the only analogy for those situations, these people, was the blind man that, that Christ heals, the blind from birth, you know, where you go, why... You know, and you just have, there's just nothing you can think of that's going to compare mm-hmm. to, like, to the, to the amount of agony this person has endured 
you know, for how many years, for their entire, you know, existence. So, uh, anyway, we have those things. So, that's, so it, it, it can't be, it can never be dependent on the good outcome, even tomorrow or the next day or whatever. It has to be independent of that. The good outcome has to be that, that if I don't make it through this accident, then I get the good news even quicker, you know. Now, that's easy to say. And it's, it's kind of like I was telling someone the other day. It's kind of like um, when you're discussing quadruple bypass surgery. It's really easy to say that they've got that down now, and that's just, that's just a piece of cake. That's easy to say about somebody else. Mm-hmm. Say so that's one of those things that's true. Wow, they can really knock this out. Now, when that comes close to home, we're scared to death, <laughs> right? If that's close to home, that's a whole different, that's a whole different matter. So that's kind of where, uh, uh, where we're at with these. And our reliance, let's uh, think about this. We had a, a missionary spoke several months ago, and the missionary said that all fear, apart from the fear of God, is a sin. And we talked about that, and that's why I said, uh, uh, I mentioned that to Tom, and I was, I was joking with Tom, and I said, I, all of a sudden, and not trying to be funny, literally, my life has ten times the amount of sin in it or something or whatever than I, than I thought, like, oh my gosh. I mean, uh, you know, we just have fears. At the same time, I would have said, no, I'm not an anxious person. But regarding just big fears like that, oh, yeah. And so uh, I asked him, is that, is that true or is that an overstatement? You know, I mean, and uh, it's like, no, that's, that's true. All fear, because in, it makes sense, back to my lack of merit, any fear that I would have in anything other than something worthy of fear would be an earthly fear, and that's misplaced. On my part, as a believer, I shouldn't have that. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, so back to why the road is narrowing. Now, at the same time, the, so the road is, uh, in my, this is my personal road now I'm talking about. Again, it's, it's uh, uh, but there's still great joy. I still have great joy in the situation. I still have great joy in even seeing that, that there's, that this is the limit of my, of my execution of this path, but that it continues past that, I see it, and I think I'll continue, God willing, to, to grow in that direction and get better and better at this. But it's a, the joys and the clarity, the joys and a clearer understanding of these things. Now, you say, well, let's think about, on the magnitude side here, why would there be joy? Why would there be joy in such, basically, like, failure on, uh, on something like, wow, so this has been going great, 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 great. And then now, um, I didn't add fear as a magnitude word, but uh, could have easily. Let's contrast our, the list here. Let's think for a second about the magnitude of our salvation. Yeah. Right, right. So it's not that you're thrilled with the circumstance. is that you're still giving thanks in a circumstance you don't like. Um, so, yeah, no question. Years ago, years ago, someone would always, someone uh, that, that I knew was really stuck with the concept of you can be grateful. It was, it was a flat tire analogy. You can, you can be, a, uh, you don't have to be thrilled about the flat tire to still be giving thanks, or didn't have to give thanks for the flat tires. It's some sort of a quick little saying that, it, that, that came with that. But it was the same concept. It's like, yeah, you know, you don't have to be thrilled saying, thank you, God, for this, for this flat tire. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think that's, 
at the, at the same time, I guess we can err on the other side and we could say, thank you, God, that I have hope that this flat tire will be fixed quickly because that's where my hope lies. And you see what I'm saying? Because that, that can become like, whoa, we kind of jumped the tracks with that. And then all of a sudden that thing becomes the measure of whether I will be thankful or not. I will be thankful, God, as soon as this flat tire is fixed. There's a lot of ways the train can jump the tracks uh, with, with some of those. That takes faith, too. But to see that, because I don't know about you, but 99% of the time, that's a hindsight thing. And it, you know what I mean? So at the, at the moment of the most pain, you're not, I'm, I'm getting no lesson. And that takes the faith. Virginia. Right. That's the part of the road past the brush that's blocking me right now. I'm not, I'm, I'm not there. Well, you're not there yet. No. No, but I mean, but I think, I, I think that's absolutely where we, where we should be. Now, I do think, among all the things we've talked about, I think there's a, there's a test. I, I think our, there's a test for us in our contentedness. Uh, in other words, if we think, okay, gee, I can raise my hand and go, wow, I'm, I've got no merit. I know that. I'm getting reasonably comfortable with that. You think you're doing good. I think the test of contentedness is one that we will fail. I think most of us will fail. I fail it um, pretty significantly, I think, in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of us that don't fail the test of contentedness, but if you really peeled the onion, the reason we don't fail it is because of our nice 401ks. See what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm totally content. Yeah, I'm totally content. Well, I'm totally content as long as I have this. And if you take away this, you take away that, take away their health, and all of a sudden they wouldn't, they wouldn't have that. So, now, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the contentedness is almost like a, a gut check uh, item here where, where for me it's humbling because that's, like I say, that's where I can acknowledge like, oh, I'm not even, I'm not even close. I'm not even close. But I can see that that's where the road's going and you know like that's where I'm supposed to be. That's amazing. That's walking the talk. You know, I had a dear friend years ago that was 93 and I gave her a ride uh, to a senior meeting every week, and we we got to be pretty good friends. And she would tell me how she just didn't know why the Lord didn't take her home. She's not doing anybody any good. She just wishes the Lord to take her home. And I thought, when a young person says something like that, you know, when a young person says, hope I die before I get old, you know, the old Who lyrics, that's, that makes sense when you're a young person. When someone who's 93 tells you they're ready to go, they're looking down the barrel of the gun, and they mean it. And I, I, I always took that as an amazing witness to her walk. Like, she's not messing around. She knows where she's going. I mean, you know, I'll tell you that, but I'm not looking on the barrel of the gun uh, uh, the way she was. I thought that was amazing. Where that is, and then you... Yeah. And then it's a bit... I mean, the, the, the technical world would be like iterative, you know, where you go through it, you know, and you kind of get it, and you were just... But you could say you're just refining. We're just getting closer and closer. I would propose... This is just me. I would propose that this, if you call it a cycle, we're going to go through, or just, uh, just refining it, getting closer and closer. I would propose that it's not in our job description to attain, to fully attain this at any point, ever. I guess what that means is that kind of implies that if anyone raises their hand and says, oh, I got, I got all this, oh, I got this down, uh, I got this down, I got this good. 
First, there's probably mistaken, if not just raw folly. There's probably just, probably just mistaken. But I think it's, I think it's good for us. I think it's, I think the normal uh, progression would be, uh, and I'm just saying this from my own experience, where I can tell I'm not done, but I can tell I've made progress. And I think it's just like, oh, I think that's the progression. That's the progression. And so I get both the satisfaction of, like, this is the right path. I'm making progress. And, but yet now I've, I see enough to know, like, that there, there is no raising your hand and going, ah, now i got that figured out. So that, look, at, look at just deny on its own. Just the word deny. I mean, that's just this huge thing. There's got to be so many levels to a denial of self that I can't imagine. Like, so, I mean, the progress I've made, maybe I've made, maybe God would laugh and say, yeah, you've made 2.4% progress on the, on the amount of denial that's actually available to you or something. You, you see what I'm saying? It, it might be trivial, um, but it's like, wow. But it's, it's different. And so, so, yeah, I don't think we're called, or well, not called, I'll, I'll change that. I don't think it's in our job description to achieve um, perfectly all this. And I would run the other direction quickly from anyone who would, would make the claims that they were... Is the work of the Holy right. Spirit transforming right. us to the image of Christ. But someone could still say, ah, I'm so thankful for that, and that's what got me to 98%. And you'd be like, nah, I don't know, man. You well, still, I mean, does that make more sense on the... The circumstance we're giving, the being thankfulness, yeah, doesn't mean, yes, God, I'm thankful for the flat tire. Thank you for the flat tire. It's, it's thankful for that it was the flat tire and not the major accident. Correct. That it was the, okay, if it was the major accident, it's the major accident, but nobody's in the hospital. Okay, if someone's in the hospital, it's the hospital, but no one's dead. If someone's dead, it's, thank you, Jesus, that I'm, I know where I'm going or I know where they're going. I mean, it's, you know, there's just... There's, there's always something in every piece to be thankful for until you're not speaking anymore. And at that point, you're giving thanks from the other side. And now you've just, you've just finished the, you're, you're done with the cycle, you know, and uh, you're there. So talking about, like I mean, obey, deny, any of these, you could spend, you could just crawl into these scriptures on these and just be overwhelmed with the magnitude of these. Trying to comprehend the magnitude of these, let's, let's talk about the magnitude of our salvation, just to try to get just the language down. Now, so what is our gift? What is the gift of salvation? What is it? What's our salvation? Eternal life. Yeah. Forgiveness. Now, I'm sorry here, uh, we're trying to measure the magnitude of something, and the word eternal is throwing my magnitude meter into uh, confusion. I can't. I'm not, I'm not able to process the magnitude of eternal. How many years is that? What's that? What's that? My, my meter only goes to 27 million years. So if we just get our, if we can just, you know, start to grasp the magnitude of our salvation at all, the, the magnitude of these words that apply to us will be uh, a little more understandable. Now, who does our salvation come from? The creator of the universe. Again, my magnitude limit is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pegging the magnitude limit. Okay? So, what was the price paid? Speaking of low magnitude things, what was the price paid for my salvation? Yeah, right. 
you see, you just just you start to just grasp the magnitude of what we're talking about. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus because he happened to get caught. No, he gave it up. He gave it up. He didn't happen to get caught. This was the purpose. This was the plan. The blood of Jesus, the Son of the Trinity, chose to leave that environment and to put on stinky earthman clothes and with things that would hurt and nerves and all sorts of earthly things and um, come here to pay that price to shed that for me. The magnitude, I mean, this is, this is stuff that's just hard to uh, conceptualize. The um, why. Why did he choose to do that? Out of love. Now, hang on a second here. We are all the way down this list, and I haven't heard one value pertaining to my merit. He loved me because I'm such a good guy. He loved me because I'm so dang cute. He loved, where, there's got to be a part of my merit in here, right? No. No. There's no, there's, merit doesn't fit. Now, here's the picture. Here's the picture tying to this stuff. Understanding just this concept of the magnitude. I know you, you know all these things. I mean, I know we know all these things. It's not the point. The point is to see a pattern of things that matter and things that don't matter. And see how things like our human merit, not just because it's faulty, but just even the even the merit, something that's like, well, I'm I'm this good versus that good. I'm a little good. I'm that. Seeing how that merit can't factor in to something on these on these scales, it wouldn't even make sense. Now, now part of that is a, a, a quick uh, rabbit trail. Think of this, think about the number of churches in the U.S. that would agree about some of this magnitude. They would agree about a lot of this stuff as being, and they, they might even, I would say, salute some of these magnitude things. Oh, God is huge. Um, but yet they'll also wire in themselves and their own goodness as a piece of this. So the part I want you to see and grasp is how that doesn't even make sense. That can't be a part of that mix. And just think about all the other things that just can't be a part of this mix. They just can't belong there. It doesn't even make sense. The, uh, we used a word a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, like a high-intensity faith and the, the concept that, that if, if you were of the low-intensity faith of, well, I'm going I'm to read my Bible once in a while. I'll go to church two hours a week, and I'll... I'll I'll think about Jesus even more than I play golf. Um, you know, calling that a, a low-intensity faith, how that low-intensity faith doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense that that's even like just, there's just, there's no theology behind that. That just, when you look at the magnitude of these things, that just doesn't even make sense. So, where I'm going with these things is, if we look at the magnitude of our salvation, what response for us, what how could there possibly be a low-intensity response from us to this? In other words, we got back. This is the depth of your call we're talking about. And the, the beginning was no one's ever been called to be less than 100% Christian. No one's ever been called to be 
a Christian less than, or a follower. I'm sorry, I don't mean to use the word Christian. It can mean a lot of different things. But to be a follower of Christ less than 24-7, 365. There's no, there is no following. There is no following that's a, a detuned version. And the more we can see this, just understand that that wouldn't even make sense. So wherever you think you're at today uh, with, with your walk, however successful you think you are or aren't, uh, that's a different issue. Just understand that it doesn't even make sense for our walks to be less than 100% in all these categories. We may fail, then fail, then try again, and then keep going. And again, back to I'm not sure it's in our job description to ever perfectly succeed with these things. So don't get hung up on that piece of that. But just understand the folly of what it would be to, to, to think that uh, partially committed life where you partially salute scriptures, at least those that you agree with or something, you know, and you get to, you're picking and choosing the scriptures you want to follow and you decide, well, these must have changed. You know, that's been a long time ago. I'll discount these. That doesn't even make sense. That just doesn't even make, just doesn't even make logical sense on that. How worthy is he of my yeah, right. And that gets yeah, that gets back to the to the, to the to the magnitude on these things. You know, it's just how do you how do you measure these things? Right, Romans twelve one. Can we get that. It's good. That that would be an easy one to read and say, well, I'm never going to achieve that. So that must be that must validate kind of like this two class system of the people that are super-duper saved and, like, in ministry, and then just the rest of us back to the fans and the bleachers. But then it's like, okay, wait a minute. There is no fans and the bleachers. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the part of that. So then, so then that becomes more troubling because you read that and realize, no, that does apply to everybody. All right, back to the... That even sounds like a high-magnitude response. See? Right. I have a note on here. That the uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That it's the same word as in Luke nine twenty nine regarding Jesus being transfigured, the transfiguration. So the renewing of my mind. Renewing sounds like, uh, gosh, I better I better run that update. You know, I got a slight renewing. You know, gee, I'm running uh, my computer at the office runs Windows seven dot this dot this dot this dot this. I better renew it and get you know six columns over one one version newer. Okay. That doesn't sound like transfiguration. That doesn't sound like the. the but uh, my note here says that's the same word. The transformed is the same word as in Jesus' transfiguration, meaning things changed. A change has happened. Something has changed, and we know what the, we know what the change has been. Along the along the uh, concept of magnitude, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Well, that's the pattern. I'm, that's where I'm from. See, that gets back to the level of denial we're talking about. The level, I mean, like, we're talking about denial in all ways. What's the, uh, the top chunk this week? That note from Bible.org, to bear the cross means to accept the rejection of the world for turning to Jesus and following him. To accept the rejection of the world. To raise your hand and accept the rejection of the world. That's one of those concepts that, again, if John raises his hand and said, oh, you, know, you know what, brother, let me tell you, I have perfectly achieved, I am completely accepting of my, uh, the rejection of the world, I'd be thinking like, brother, I know you believe that. There's, there's no way. I mean, it's, it's, it's so huge. It's so huge that I think, we will, I think we'll spend our entire lives trying to get, get a little bit more and a little bit more of that. 
And the same thing, maybe at the end of your day, maybe uh, if God's got a, uh, a meter of his own up there, maybe you could be the highest human to ever be more comfortable accepting the rejection of the world, and maybe your acceptance will be like a 14% acceptance or something, right? I mean, you know, who knows what these things would be? But there's no way we're actually, you know, pinning the meters on these things. It may, it may feel like it, uh, but that's, I'm comfortable with that. That's part of being comfortable with my low merit is I'm just comfortable that, that because to me, anything where a human gets to say, I've done this, can't be right. That just, that can't be the right outcome where someone really gets like the, yes, I've done this. Now, I'm not talking about, I don't mean the, the, the missionary who gets his head cut off uh, for saying, I'm not denying Christ. I mean, I'm not, and, it, and there's, there's merit in these things. I'm not talking about that. In other words, with the human achievement component of that, um, I just don't think, to, to me that would just make me twitch and, and run away thinking like, man, I don't know. You know, I don't know, I don't know where I'm at and I'm no benchmark, but boy, this is, something seems messed up if someone's kind of raising their hands and touting their, uh, uh, their own achievement, you know, with their level of this or that. What I'm talking about is just trying to grasp our actual uh, situation here. Let's move into Tozer, back to Tozer for the wrap. We've got, um, I've gone through, I do hope, if you don't have the book, I do hope you'll go through it. I think there might be a study guide for this, I think on this one. And I think that would be, if we wanted to go through that, off the true study guide for the book, to do that sometime, that'd be awesome too. <laughs> this is the closest thing to like a, like a one-page uh, kind of wrap of, of the whole book, of all the stuff in there. We're going to wrap up with a couple of the pieces out of that. We're not going to cover all these. A lot of these we've, we've hit. Let's go down to the, uh, the page 58. And again, my apologies for just working off of pages. Um, I know the page numbers tr- change from book to book. We'll go at 58, the, starting with the one on page 58. That is chapter 8. It's on probably about the second page of of chapter eight. So we've gone through we've gone through the situation. We understand the depth of our call. We understand the depth of our fall. We have no merit. Uh, merit's not our not going to be our thing. We are nothing apart from uh, Christ. Then what Tozer says: God being who and what He is, and we being who and what we are. The only thinkable relation between us is one of full lordship on his part and complete submission on ours. And to me, I mean, I, I agree with that. Not only do I agree with it, I think that makes sense because that's back to the kind of the 100%, 0%. Anything that represents me as contributing anything in this process just can't be right. Um, anything that represents me as having... Any achievement, any any anything at all like that, just can't be just can't be right. Um, it's anything that would lift me up at all would take away something of of his lordship, and that can't be right. Uh, so I just I like the way Tozer worded that. I said again, God being who and what he is, and we being who and what we are, the only thinkable relation between us is one of full lordship on his part and complete complete submission on ours. Now. The same concept, he elaborates a little more on that on the, the page 65 reference. 
and the page 65 is chapter 9, probably the second or third page of chapter 9. So he's now talking about the type of man. He calls it the meek man. He spends some time explaining what he means by meek man. But he's talking about the man who understands this, this position. So the quote uh, from this. The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. So in other words, okay, so this is, you got no merit. You're feeling a little inferior. But the meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God has declared him to be, but paradoxically he knows that at the same time he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. He knows well that the world will never see him as God does, and he has stopped caring. In the meantime, he will have attained a place of soul rest, As he walks on in meekness, he will be happy to let God defend him. The old struggle to defend himself is over. That ties out the joy, just the the completeness. You you stop caring. What's that sound like? What was the first step of the tyranny of things? You care too much about things. Why do we care about things? We care about things because they're the tools we use to win the competition with everyone else that shows... We need the world to accept us. We need to be told. We're not, we're not trying to go against the world. We are trying to be accepted by the world. We are raised impress that way. We're trying to impress the world. It's, and it'd be too easy on the word impress. It'd be too easy for someone to go, oh, I used to be that way. Now I'm past that. The, the problem is, it's, it's accurate, I think, but it's, I think it's, it's more insidious than, well, well I guess impressing would be pretty insidious, but it's less surfacy. It's deeper than impress. It's truly, you are seeking the acceptance of the world. You need the proof of the world that I'm winning, that I've made it, that I've done it. And there's a, there's a comparison part of that. But it's the exact opposite of that, uh, of that Bible.org quote that says, uh, uh, to bear the cross means to accept the rejection of the world. It's the exact opposite of that. It's complete polar opposite. All these things about the, the, the tyranny of things that, that, uh, that built up to this. Now, we're just about out of time. So well, this is the wrap of the wrap. Bernie asked a good question a few weeks ago, which was, well, great. Now what? Um, okay, so I figured out that I'm lousy in this way, in this way, in this way. Now what do I, now what do, I do about it? On page 28, Tozer addresses the now what. You say, well, how is that farther back? Well, he's, he's the, the now what he's talking about here is uh, self and uh, this, the, all the ways that our self-denial uh, uh, impede with us here. Oh, hang on. I'll tell you the chapter on that. Last couple of pages of chapter 3. That chapter is called Removing the Veil. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to start reading from the top here. Uh, because this list will go real quick, on the page 26. What doth hinder us? It is the veil of our freshly, freshly fallen nature living on, unjudged within us, uncrucified and unrepudiated. Uh, skip it on the next page. 
It is woven of the fine threads of the self-life. They are not something we do. They are something we are. Okay, well, now we're getting back to identity issues, and we know how deep that is. To be specific, the self-sins are these. Self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others. You'd be like, well, I thought self-sufficiency was good. The world tells me self-sufficiency is awesome. And why wouldn't I admire myself? I'm pretty cool. Next page. Self can be removed. And this is now we're getting down to the now what? Well, how does this happen? Self can be removed only in spiritual experience, never by mere instruction. In other words, this is, this is not something you read a book and go, oh, well, good. Now I know. Self can be removed only in spiritual experience, never by mere instruction. There must be a work of God in destruction before we are free. That's a phrase you don't hear a lot. There must be a work of God in destruction before we are free. We must invite the cross to do its deadly work within us. We must bring our self-sins to the cross for judgment. We must bring them. We must prepare ourselves for an ordeal of suffering in some measure like that through which our Savior passed when he suffered under Pontius Pilate. God must do everything for us. Our part is to yield and trust. We must confess, forsake, repudiate the self-life, and then reckon it crucified. But we must be careful to distinguish lazy acceptance from the real work of God. We must insist upon the work being done. Now, that last paragraph, let's hit this in more detail. God must do everything for us. Our, our part is to yield and trust. I take that as step one, yield and trust. You lay it down. Okay, God, I'm acknowledging you're in charge of this. I have this issue. You name it specifically with what the, whatever the burden is on that one. Again, I'm not, this isn't name it and claim it stuff. This is just it's bringing honesty uh, instead of seeking, oh, God, fix all the ways I'm broken. Thank you. Right. This is, this, is, this is not that. Our part is to yield and trust. Step one, yield and trust. We must confess. I would take that as step two. Confess it specifically. In other words, whichever area, if, is it the reliance? Is it, is it things? Is there, is there a self-identity piece of this? Whatever it is, go through these things. Pray about these things. Have God reveal these things to you. And then yield them and trust them. Second, confess. Okay, you confessed it. Three, forsake it. What's forsake mean? Leave it behind. Step four, repudiate it. Well, we just left it behind. What's repudiate mean? Reject its authority. Okay? You are rejecting its authority. No. You are repudiating the self-life. And then reckoning it crucified. There's a word we don't use today. Tozer likes the word reckon a lot. What's reckon it crucified? Consider it. Acknowledge it, I think. In other words, um, if you acknowledge it now at that point, then declare it almost and, uh, and thank God for it. Last sentence, I left it in. We must be careful to distinguish lazy acceptance from the real work. Of God, we must insist upon the work being done. He gets real clear in the book that God does the work. Our job is to yield it and, and trust it, confess it there. But God has to do this. It's a, it's a. I don't have the reference with me. He referred to it as the analogy of pulling teeth, 
Remember that? And, and you had the, the, the pulling teeth. It's a bloody process, pulling, extracting teeth from the jaw, this, this process of going through this. Uh, it's, not, it's not something from mere book learning. Uh, he gets these things specifically. To me, that's the takeaway on where he's at with, uh, with our struggles with these things. I think this is an ongoing process. Again, I picture it as going through it once and then years later figuring out like, wow, i got to do that again. I mean, like, wow, there's more things. God's opening my eyes. Uh, my personal take is that if God opened our eyes to all our flaws in full depth, I don't know if my brains might dribble out my ears, if I might cry myself into dehydration. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know. But, I mean, I think we couldn't handle it. I think we couldn't handle um, a full conceptualization. So, I mean, I think it's a gift that I think he'll reveal these things in, in measured chunks that we can bear. I highly recommend the book. Thanks for your six weeks. <laughs>